We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. Well, what's up, Peak City family? So glad you're here with us today. Love so much what God is doing in our church. And I'm unable to be with you today. I'm actually celebrating um, my wife and I, our 16-year wedding anniversary, taking a, just a little weekend away together, working on that marriage like we've been talking about, right? How to build a better marriage, applying them sermons. Um, man, today is such a special day. I'm so glad that I get the privilege to introduce to you our guest preacher today. Uh, he is not a stranger to Peak City. This will be his second time preaching here. Kyle Veach is the lead pastor of View Church in the greater Seattle, Washington area. And Kyle is a buddy of mine. We stay in contact and I just love him and his character and his preaching and uh, just, just his heart for people. And I know you're gonna be blessed. I wanna share with you one thing about Kyle um, that is really, really special in relation to Peak City. And when Kyle was here uh, just about two years ago, uh, to guest preach. Um, it was so interesting. We, we were talking afterwards and he said, Petey, um, do you ever offer a time of decision at the end of a message? Do you ever like give people the chance to respond to Jesus and give their lives to him and become Christians? And I said, man, we do sometimes, but, but not all the time. And he was like, well, do you preach the gospel every week? Do you always talk about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus? And I said, well, yeah, every week. He was like, well, then every message should lend itself to an opportunity for someone to become a follower of Jesus. I said, man, you're right. I felt, I felt very convicted about it in the moment. He said, hey, here's the deal. Try it for three months. For the next three months, at the end of every message, give people the chance to give their lives to Jesus. Give people the chance to recommit their lives to Jesus and just watch what happens. And I'm telling you, we started that, that, that decision time right after that weekend he was here. And we've been doing it ever since. And we've not had one Sunday go by without at least one person giving their life to Jesus. And that part of our culture, you need to know, was brought to us by Kyle Beach. And so because of that, we need to show him all the honor in the world, he and his wife, Kara. We need to celebrate him. I want you to lean in, to listen, to love him, to, to, to show him all kinds of Peak City love today as he brings a really powerful word. So stand back up to your feet if you're not already on your feet and put your hands together and welcome my friend, Kyle Beach. Come on, I think you can be a little bit louder than that for God, right? Come on, can we praise God real fast? Can we thank Him for His goodness? So good to be here, to be here, to be here. And my wife, who's here with me, we just love your pastors and love what's going on here at Peak City and just believe in what's going on here. And, and it's not by uh, accident and it's not by laziness and it's not by uh, happen, but it's because you have great pastors who work incredibly hard, who love a good God. Can you just thank your pastors real fast? Can you give them just an applause? Can we thank them? Can we honor them? Come on. Well, hey, as you're taking a seat, why don't you go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, Seattle has all of your draft picks and we thank you. Thank you for taking Russell Wilson off our hands. I don't know why you're mad. You're the one that made the decision. But you have Sean Payton and, and you have Russell and no picks. And we're so thankful for rebuilding our franchise. 
Like, hey, I think you're amazing. I'm so excited. Last service was uh, just, just phenomenal to be around. Four people gave their lives to Jesus, and, and a lot of other people just responded. And, you know, um, it takes a lot to get me away from my church. I love my church. I love where my wife and I get to lead. I love what God's doing in our place. And, and so it takes a lot. And I, and I don't come here um, for uh, the scenery. It's beautiful. Uh, I don't come here uh, for the food. It's fantastic. Uh, I don't come here um, just for fun. I, I come here on assignment. I think there's a very specific assignment that the Lord sent me on to be able to communicate to you, to be able to, you receive his love and his grace. And maybe you're in here and you've ne- you, you're not a church person. You don't even like the church. You thought walking in, the place would catch on fire. Well, it didn't, only hell's on fire. So you're good, okay, you're good. Don't worry, but we didn't catch on fire. But, but you're, you're experiencing something even during worship and during this message that will transform your life. There's only one decision that will change your life, and that's the decision to follow Jesus. That's the only decision that will ever change your life. You make a lot of decisions that will alter your life and maybe, maybe make regretful or, or happy decisions, but there's only one decision that will change the destiny of your life. And that's why we're here. That's what we're here to talk about. That's what we're here to do together. And so let's take 30 minutes. Let's talk about Jesus, and then let's figure out where we're going to eat lunch. Amen? Come on. Open your Bible to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Where are my real Bible people? Where, where, who has a Bible in the room? Raise your hand. Let's go. Let's go. You're not better than other people, but you're definitely getting to heaven first. <laughs> There's like a couple lines, and that line's like, you took a Bible to church this way, sir. This way, ma'am. Where are my iPhone? Where are my iPhone Bible people? You just like open up the app. They're, yeah, yeah. Those same people have their hands raised for kids' ministry. They've got kids. They're just happy they're here. Who's waiting for it just to come on the screen? Like, just do the thing. Put it up there. I know you're going to do it. I'm not lazy. I'm convenient. Do the thing. And I know those people know where they're eating lunch. They're smarter than the rest of us. We work for them. I want to teach a message today that I've entitled, Two Minds, One Head. I, um... I'll start with this question. Have you, ever, have you ever worked out before? What a nightmare that is. It's just, it's all, every time it's awful. I've never had fun in the gym. I've tried pre-workout. I felt like I was having a, a panic attack. I don't know what people are doing, congesting. There's no way that's safe. You go in there, you just act like you know what you're doing. You're convinced everyone looks better than you. People are grunting. Men wear short shorts. Why? I don't know. What is wrong with people? Gymshark is a cult. Like, like I, I work out, but, but I like to work out, though, at the same time. But I don't like to go to gym. I like to run. Let me phrase that. I run to eat. Anybody else? No one actually likes running. I'm still waiting for the runner's high. I've been runner angry. I've never been runner high before. I've run half marathons. I've done the whole thing. I've been out there, and I got done and thought, what was I thinking? That was horrible. I went for a run the other day. I decided I was going to run three miles, not because I'm better than you, um, but because I can run three miles, so I did it. I got out there. Ten steps into it, I knew I was in a world of hurt. Ten steps into it, I thought to myself, why am I here? What am I doing? Like, why, 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 why would I do this to myself? Why, why would I put myself in these five-inch shorts? Why would I put myself in this T-shirt? Why am I listening to this music? Like, what is going on? And I thought to myself, really? Are you that weak, Kyle, that you can't run three miles? And, like, like I'm just in this mental battle with myself going back and forth. Ten steps later, I thought to myself, you're unbelievable. You're the greatest person to ever live. Other people are at home. You're running. 
This is what's going on in my mind, guys. You don't want it in my mind. It's a dangerous little vortex, okay? A mile, a mile into it. Raise your hand if you've ridden, run a mile this last week, if you ran a mile this last week. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. We're, we're not better than the rest of you, but we think we are. I ran a mile. I thought to myself, that's good enough. That's good enough. I'm better than most people. Percentage-wise, most people won't run a mile. I ran a mile. Then I thought to myself, good enough. That's what we're living we're living a good enough life. You're going to raise kids living good enough. You're going to pastor a church living good enough. You're going to follow Jesus living good enough. Like, that's my life. I said, no, no, no. I made a commitment. I'm running three miles. I made it to the turnaround point. I made it all the way back. I finished my run that day. All three miles. Can you give me a round of applause? My ego needs it. And I thought to myself, wow, that was mentally exhausting. And I think that's actually how more of us live than we realize. We've got two minds, but we've got one heart. You started the new year on a fitness plan and then you ate pizza. Anybody else? Because fitness is better than, uh, uh, pizza is better than quinoa. We all know it. Or how, how about this? You love God, but you just can't seem to stop sinning. There's two minds, but there's, there's only one head. You got two minds, you got your flesh that you're at battle with, that you're at war with. Colossians would say, Galatians would say, my flesh craves sin. So you're wondering why you're craving sin so often, but craving sin and sinning are two different things. Just your desire to sin and, your, and, and at the act of sin are two different things. Thinking about sin and sinning are two different things. And so many of us, were at war with our flesh. We're at war with who we used to be and who we desire to be now. And we don't know, and sometimes we give into it. Well, one, that's the grace and the love of Jesus, who he is. But you gotta have grace for yourself that there is a battle, that you're so important, that the devil is here to still kill and destroy your life. He's here to destroy your marriage. He's here to kill your marriage. He's here to kill your finances. He's here to destroy your life. There is a battle because you're a big deal. You might not think you're a big deal, but God thinks you're such a big deal. He sent your, his son to die for you. There's an empty tomb because of you. So often we look at our neighbors and we say, it's because of them. No, it's because of you. He knows every hair on your head. You're such a big deal. You matter. No matter if someone told you you're an accident or not, you are not because you're a child of God. You know, you never graduate from being a child of God either. You are always a child of God. You will forever be a child of God. There isn't a Bible school. There isn't a seminary. There isn't attendance. There isn't a tithe. There isn't a Sabbath. There isn't a thing religiously that you could do that makes you not a child of God. You will always be his child, and he will always treat you as such. That is a place of safety. That is a place of comfort. That is a place knowing that there is a father who will always wrap you up in his arms when you are in despair. The Bible says that he is near the brokenhearted. So if you're here today and you've got a broken heart, he is near, he is not distant. The Bible never claimed that he is distant. Even though we run, he is always pursuing. Two minds, one head. So many of us, we just get stuck in who we want to be and who we actually are. See, unfortunately, about moving, about changing scenery, about changing churches, about changing jobs, about changing relationships, about trying to change your marriage. You know, the unfortunate part is you go. So unless you change, you'll always be the same. You're not who you want to be in 10 years. You, you are who you are right now. And unless we face that reality of what we are, we'll never be able to grow into who God's created us to be. So James chapter four, the half brother of Jesus is writing this letter about 30 years after Jesus dies. 
It's written probably somewhere around, if you're familiar with the Bible, the book of Acts, about chapters 8 through 11. That's probably when James wrote this. He's the half-brother of Jesus. You thought you had big brother, big sister complex, being the younger sibling. His brother walked on water and saved the world, okay? So calm down. Yeah, you got a whole, like, you don't need to bring that to your counselor anymore. James already did. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10 starts off with this. It says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Do they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme to kill and get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you don't want because you don't ask God for it. The Bible's a really good preacher. You don't have what you don't want because you don't ask for it. But he goes on further. He says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You don't have what you want and even what you ask God for because you're asking for things that only give you pleasure. This will always be about his glory and his honor and his praise. He says, you don't get because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And, and then all of a sudden, James gets in your business. He gets, he gets real, he gets up close and personal. He says, you adulterers. That, that seems rude, James. But I think when we hear the word adultery, we think of an affair in a relationship. But the language that he would be using here isn't talking about an affair and a marriage. He's talking about a promise or a covenant you made with God that you broke. You said, God, I'm gonna follow you the rest of my days. God, if you take me out of the situation, I'll do everything to follow you. God, if you do this, God, if you do this, God, if you do this. And he did that, and then you went back on your promise. And these early followers of Jesus in the book of James, these Jewish followers, they're, they're, they're learning. They know religion. Now they're learning relationship. And he's saying, stop going back on your word. Let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. You adulterers. Don't you realize your friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I think it might be one of the most powerful things that our world can hear today. All that the last two years did was expose what already was inside of us. Racism, allegiance to political parties, allegiance to certain things and people and places. See, I think what was revealed in the last couple of years is we have more of an allegiance with the world than we do with God. We've got to really evaluate, are we always looking through life through the lens of the gospel, through the Bible? Or are we looking at the world through the lens of the world that gives me pleasure? Because James is here, that will make you an enemy. Your friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I love that he doubles down, I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. He goes on further, maybe this is the most important thing you'll hear in this message. James chapter four, verse five. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? Do you think that when it talks about marriage, do you think when it talks about finances, do you think when it talks about relationships, do you think when it talks about grace that it just doesn't mean anything? See, they say that God is passionate, uh, uh, they say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed in, within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God gives grace to the proud. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Verse seven, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Two minds, one head. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Let there be gloom instead of joy. Geez, James, you're a really Debbie Downer. Verse 10, he closes with this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for Peak City. We thank you for Colorado Springs. We thank you that we get to be here. We get to learn. We get to sit under your grace. God, we love you, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to be in this room to convict us, to guide us, so that when we leave to go to whatever we have for the rest of the day, we would leave changed. May you move something in our hearts. In Jesus' name, all of us said... Amen, amen, amen. I think one of the most important things to know when you're reading the Bible is the Bible was, wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. There's an original person. James wasn't writing it with you in mind. James is writing it with the earliest Christian in mind. And this person has the same conflicts that we have. That's where it was written for us. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. He penned this letter so that people could learn how to not live a conflicted life, but live a whole life. James constantly talks about, in his five chapters, nine distinct sections, 108 verses, 54 of them giving clarity to life. He talks about them such a way, he's saying, be whole in who God has. Don't live lukewarm. Don't live half-hearted. Give everything you have to who God is. He gave everything to you. May you do that in return. May you follow him, may you give him everything. He talks about wholeness. He talks about completeness constantly through this book as he wrote it just 30 years after his brother died. You know, James didn't even believe that Jesus was Jesus. Can you imagine the bunk bed situation? They're laying in bed one night. Jesus is like, someday I'm going to walk on water and save the world. James is like, yeah, right. Hey, mom, mom, J- J- Jesus is doing the, 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 the self-righteous thing again. Like, can you imagine? The, like the, and then all of a sudden, his brother did walk on water, and he's like, gosh, dang it. You, you, you always one-up me. James is like, I can swim. He's like, I can walk on it. But the synoptic gospels, three of the four gospels, would account that James one day did see his brother die and resurrect and gave his life to his own brother and confessing and saying, you are the son of God. He followed him. So there's a moment where all of us will give our lives to Jesus and Jesus will set you free. There is a freedom. There is a celebration about that. Jesus set you free. I think we get too familiar, too Christian, too um, a, a church attendance to realize and remember and be reminded that Jesus set you free. Remember who you used to be without him. Don't just celebrate where you are, but remember the past of what you have. See, I think if we forget our past, we'll never, have people, we'll never desire for people to have a past as well and a present with Jesus. We'll always be stuck in what we're doing, but never have hope for other people because God took you out of broken moments. God took you out of darkness. God took you out of hopelessness. He restored you. He put you together, and he set you free. You are free indeed. You have hope for your life, and we've got to desire and give that to as many people as we possibly can. That is our purpose. People are always searching for purpose when God already gave it in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 28. It's called the Great Commission. You don't get to pick your purpose. He does. You might want a different passion, but he already gave you your purpose. And your purpose is to raise up disciples, to disciple them, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. If we are not doing that, we are missing out on the point of life. 
And it becomes so much about us and who we are. Jesus set us free. So then James puts it this way in James chapter 4, verse 1. What? What? Like such a parent, what are you doing? Why do, why, have you seen Christians? Oh, they're the worst. They're just, oh my, they're judgy. They're difficult to get along with. They're cheap. They're, they're, they're always talking about how they're better than other people. So what's causing fights is this identity and this realize that we, we forget that Jesus saved us. We forget that we all started the same place. We get doctrines and theologies to become more important than the salvation of Jesus. We act as if being right is more important than being right that Jesus saved us. He set you free from your past. He died, he rose, he went back to heaven, he gave us the Holy Spirit. It's so much more than just being free from your past, your present, and your future. You're free from jealousy. You're free from anger. You're free from frustration. You're free from all these comparisons, all these different areas. But just because you're free doesn't mean there isn't work to be done. I know too many Christians who got saved and never developed. They just stayed right there, got saved, boom, I'm good to go. Never learned how to read the Bible, never learned how to pray, never learned how to observe the Sabbath, never learned how to tithe, never learned how to serve. So their life looks like salvation, but their life, but, uh, and then at a point, but they never look like Jesus. They never look like the disciples. They never would be claimed to be light and salt to a dark, to a dark and tasteless world. Forgiven and holy are two different things. I know this because I have, uh, my, my wife and I, we have, we have three kids. Boston is 10. Beckham is uh, eight. And little Berkeley Bell is five. My two oldest, Boston and Beckham, they play club soccer. They go out for the tryouts. They make the team. I spend all of this money on uniforms and coaches. Like taking a second mortgage out of a sudden. I promise you club sports are a cult. And I'm a part of it. And they're getting out there playing. And I'm sitting there with my cup of coffee at 9 a.m. in a lawn chair in the middle of summer watching an eight-year-old. Have you ever been impressed by an eight-year-old playing soccer? No. I'm like, I'm, I'm over here like furious. And then we get in the car afterwards and I'm like, how do you think you did? And they're like, great. I'm like, listen, no. <laughs> you kind of suck, buddy. And I can say that to my kid and you need to say that to your kid too. Too many parents are promoting their kids when they're not actually good. You should go do something else. Get into like engineering. They make a lot of money. Just because they got the uniform, just because they made the team, doesn't mean they're any good yet. But I take them to practice after practice after practice after practice after practice. Anybody else practice after practice? And just the other day, I watched them play. And for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, that was good. Because it's long obedience in the same direction that will give you results that you could be proud of. 
It's daily waking up and reading your Bible. It's daily praying. It's daily tithing. It's daily fasting. It's daily serving. It's daily Sabbath. It, it, it is a rhythm of life. And when you begin to add the disciplines of Jesus, the way that he lived his life, don't be surprised when you begin to act and talk and walk like the way he did. You begin to look just like his disciples did. You won't ever be perfect, but at least you'll be leading people to the perfect one. No, no, no one wants to be around Christians who know everything, but people want to be about, around Christians who are real saying, yeah, I'm still figuring it out too. But the one thing I do know is that Jesus saved me, that Jesus loved me, that Jesus went on a cross for me, that he saved my life. See, practice makes perfect unless you're practicing the, the, the wrong thing. And I know too many people who are following Jesus practicing the ways of the world, so don't be surprised why you look like the world. You'll never taste good, and you'll, you'll, people will always be unsatisfied when they're around you. You'll be filled with gossip. You'll be filled with comparison and jealousy, and it'll be a rut for the rest of your life. But when you practice the right things, reading your Bible and praying and talking to him and tithing and serving and the things that the Bible talks about regularly, you'll begin to look like the disciples. You'll begin to look like a follower of Jesus, and people who get around you will all of a sudden go, I want to be like them. I, wanna, I, I, I like the way they live their life. I like the light that they are. I, I, they, they taste different than everything else because the world will always keep you thirsty but Jesus will always satisfy you. I love the even why Josh. Josh is up here talking about groups. You have two responses when groups are offered. Sign up or don't. Maybe just encourage you. Your life, I mean, life's great in rows, and this is amazing to see full rooms, but if you ever sat around a circle talking about the highs and lows of life, that's where transformation happens. That's where people celebrate you and people cry with you. And that builds community to a way that sitting in a row never will. You might find salvation, but you'll never find discipleship. And I've got a metric for you. Don't worry, I've got a metric for you. People over here, like, like, am I doing a good job? You start checking off, I pray. Pop. I read my Bible. Pop, pop. I tithe. Pop, pop, pop. Like, you're like, you know, we're over here. Like, like figure out whether we do a good job. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how, how you know you're doing a good job. See, when you live forgiven, you speak forgiven. When you live forgiven, you talk to God forgiven. Uh, Here's the metric. What you pray for reveals what matters most to you. Your prayer life will reveal what matters to you. If your prayer life is all about you, you matter most, and he is second. If your prayer life involves God, he is number one, and you are second. The order of life is he is always number one, and you are always number two. You are always following his service. He is God. You are not. You'd be a terrible God. I would be a terrible Jesus. I'm not going on a cross for you. There's not a chance. They would have pulled the whip out and I've been like, I'm out. That's it. Forget them. Good luck, guys. There's not a chance. Prayer is a wild concept. It's like having a bat phone to God. You just dial them up anytime. Hey, hey, yeah, no, yeah, still big issues. Um, you haven't solved any of my problems yet. Um, not here to complain. Sorry, that's my bad. Uh, hey, how you been? Like, like, you got the bat phone to God. You're over here talking to God. You're not talking to a friend. This isn't your Facebook account that you should probably delete. Like, this is actually God that you're talking to. This is the one who created you, the one who, who knit you in your mother's womb, the one who created the heavens and the earth. That's who you're talking about. And what if your prayers actually came true? What if the things you're praying for actually happen? Well, I, def- I would have won the lottery by now. Anybody else? Someone would have been like, how'd you win the lottery? Luck? No, I prayed. Someone comes over to your house. How is your house so clean? Did you get a cleaner? No, I've just been praying that it would be clean. <laughs> Summer's just around the corner. You go to the beach. You take your shirt off. Oh, my gosh. How'd you get abs? You've been hitting the gym? No, I prayed. Prayed for him. 
Yeah. I lost 50 pounds, prayed, prayed a lot. <laughs> See, our prayer life reveals what matters most to us. And what matters most to us is typically just us. And so that's what our prayer life typically is. James chapter 4, verse 3 puts it this way. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want, what you, uh, you want only what will give you pleasure. I think immediately we begin to talk about prayer and an insecurity comes into the room. I don't pray enough. But may I contend that the Bible doesn't talk much about the length of your prayer, but the motives of your prayer. That your prayer life doesn't lack awesomeness. What you're praying for lacks godly desire. His transformation, his truth, his identity. What, we, uh, what, what if we just pray for things with the wrong motives? It becomes so scary when we pray like that. And even further, we can reveal what you're praying for. There, there, there's a system here. There, there, there's a checklist. Tell me about your prayer life, but then watch this. Your hands will always reveal your heart. What you put your hands to reveal what matters most to you. If your kids matter to you, not you put hands on them, that's not what I'm saying, even though you want to sometimes, but you'll be involved in their life. There's one thing to be present, there's another thing to be intentional. You'll put your hands to the local church. You'll put your hands to your finances given to the church. You'll put your hands towards making your marriage a little bit better. You'll put your hands to the things. See, what your hands touch matter to you most. They, they, they matter to your identity. They matter to those moments. And James chapter 4, verse 8 puts it this way. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Nearness to God is a basic biblical principle. It always talks about God coming near to us and us coming near to him. It is a basic, it is common, it is all the way through it. And we've got to celebrate. James gives a clear process to get out of two minds with one head. And he's saying, come near to God. And when you get near him, celebrate him. Give him honor, give him praise, clap for him, raise your hands, worship him, give him everything you possibly have. I think we're commonly just too quiet with our praise. We're too quiet. See, our Facebook is filled far more with our complaints than our praise for what God has done for us. See, I want to be known as an individual that talks about what I'm for far more than what I'm against. People who are always talking about what they are against are lazy and have, and have low thought process. When you begin to talk about what you're for, you begin to talk about godly things. You can begin to talk about what he's doing in your life. You can talk about what he's doing in your family and in your finances and your marriage and in your work. But when it's always filled with complaints, don't be surprised why no one wants wants to be around you except for other people who gossip. See, people who gossip to you about others will gossip about you to others. And we give them way too much headspace. We give them way too much credit. We give them way too much life when life is always going to be filled with what is God doing in your life? How is he changing you? How is he guiding you? Joshua chapter 6 verse 20. Joshua is be taking the Israelites to the promised land, but the first place they have to conquer is Jericho. This impenetrable walls. How is this tiny, tired group of people going to get through the first place to get to the promised land? They don't get out swords. They don't get out arrows. They don't get out bombs. They don't get out balloons to hover over the top too soon. That was good. 
My goal was just to fit that in somewhere. And I didn't know where, and I'm glad it was there. Now, Joshua instructed everybody to begin to praise. And as they walked around the walls of Jericho the first day, they were mocked and embarrassed. The second day, mocked and embarrassed. The third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. But when the trumpet sounded and everybody sang and worshiped on the seventh day, the walls of Jericho began to fall. God will break down the walls of resistant, resistance in your life when you begin to praise his name. When your home is filled with worship instead of complaints. When your car is filled with worship instead of Dr. Dre. When your <laughs> See, worship portion of this service is not a preview, a warm-up to the message, but it's a place and an opportunity to get your heart right for what God's about to download. And when we skip and lower the importance of the worship portion of this service, see, um, we, we, we begin to miss out on what God actually has for us. See, worship was never meant to be a musical section, but worship is a way of life and the way you live your life. You don't worship him just through the way you sing songs. You worship him in the way that you parent your children, treat your wife, manage your finances, work at your workspace, and drive in your car. Amen? That is who he is. That is that gauge. Walls fall at the shout of God's praise. He talks about washing your hands, though. I got really good at washing my hands these last two years. Anybody else? I didn't know I was bad at washing my hands. I thought I was a pretty, I've been in a lot of restrooms and men's restrooms and seen other men, dirty, filthy animals, not wash their hands. And I judgmentally washed mine, but then all of a sudden the WHO and the CDC started telling me I'm supposed to be singing songs. I'm supposed to be lathering up for a certain period of time. I didn't know I was bad at it. Next thing I knew, I had hand sanitizer in my car. Next thing I knew, like my truck had hand sanitizer. Next thing I knew, every time I walked into Target, I went, walk through there, just clean my hands. I walk out, get a little squirt again. I was always cleaning and washing my hands. I would always have those moments of my life. But know this, you can make yourself dressed up for church. You can make yourself look amazing and post on Instagram that you've been reading your Bible. You can make yourself look like a Christian, but only God can heal your heart. You can wash your hands, but only God can clean your heart. We've got to come to the one who cleans us. Let God be God. You're not a good, you're not a good God. You're a decent employee. We don't let God be God enough. We don't come to him with prayers that matter. When you're living stuck and frustrated in two minds, you don't come to him and say, God, I'm sick and tired of it. Do you really think that he can't handle your complaints? Have you ever read the book of Psalms? David complains throughout the whole thing. And God constantly has his back. He's big enough, he's strong enough, he's secure enough to hear your honesty. 
but I think we just don't trust him enough to be honest with him. James 4, verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. When you put God in the right position in your life, he does only what God does. There's a cause and effect here. When you humble yourself, God lifts you. But when you lift you, God's gonna humble you. No matter what, you're the one that gets humbled. And he's the one that gets the glory. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, everyone who exalts him will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Proverbs 3, verse 34, he mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. I want to close with a story, then an opportunity to respond. My son, his name's Boston. What a millennial thing to do. Couldn't have named him like Bob or Bill. Boston. This is a great idea until you remember we live in Seattle. So we are Seattle Mariner fans. That makes him a Red Sox fan. It's awful. So he's all things Boston Red Sox. He's all things Boston Red Sox. So Red Sox come to town. I get his tickets. We go to the game. But he comes out of his room in his Red Sox shirt and his Red Sox hat that his mother bought him. So I go into my room and I come out with my Mariner shirt and my Mariner's hat. And we have a standoff. We go to the game and guys, he was exhausting. He made friends with other Red Sox fans. Every time the Red Sox did anything, he's high-fiving strangers. He's yelling. At one point, I was looking up at him as he was standing and I was seated and he looked back at me and goes, what? And I was like, what, what, I'm about to go to jail, that's what. So then I stood up every time the Mariners did something and I looked at him and go, what? Because you gotta talk trash to your kids. But I love that in an opposing stadium, with opposing fans, with opposing people yelling, he was loyal. Nothing could shake him from his love and admiration for his team. So the question we ask as we close, in two minds and one head, is God an option or is he everything? Because the world will always be loud to get you off following God. The devil will always be attacking you to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Is God an option or is he everything? Stand to our feet. As we stand to our feet, I invite you just to close your eyes. And I'll give two responses. The first one is for people to meet Jesus for the very first time like we open the message. 
And this is for people who have been in here from the moment they walked into this room and the worship started, even in the parking lot, to even throughout the message. Thought there is something different about this feeling and this place, and it must be God. And if that's you today, I want to give you the opportunity just to raise your hand here in just a moment. When you raise your hand, it's an identifying moment saying, God, I'm giving you my life. In that moment, the Holy Spirit's going to infill you. Scales are going to fall off your eyes and your life will be forever changed. It is the only decision that changes your life. Other decisions alter. This one changes your eternity. That's you today. One, it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Two, it's the only decision that changes your life. Three, go and raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Keep your hand up. Amen. Five, six, seven, eight, 10, 11, 12, 13. Anybody else in this room? 13 people. Anybody else in this room? It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your entire life. church, can you repeat this prayer after me out loud? Can you say, dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died on the cross for my sins, and that I am forgiven, that I am free, that I'm changed. In Jesus' name, we all said, come on, can we give the Lord an applause for 13 people in this service, giving their life to Jesus? Well, that's 17 people throughout the morning. I think we can get a little bit louder than that. Come on. Just a second response I want to give. If that resonated, two minds, one head. I can't stop sinning, but man, I love God so much. I'm so sick and tired, so stuck and frustrated with this identity issue that I'm walking through, and I'm stuck. I'm, t- I'm tired, I'm done, I surrender. There's moments of surrendering. There's moments of confession, it'll always be a gift. If that's you today, can you get both hands in the air? Say, I'm tired of living both lives. Go and lift, lift both hands, say, that's me. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Come on, may we fight for this, may we fight for this. Keep your hands up, you shouldn't be ashamed. He didn't go to a cross, he didn't walk out of a tomb so you could be ashamed of your confession. He walked so you could be free, we gotta live free. This is what your social media should be filled with. This is what your life should be filled with. This is what your, your water cooler time should be filled with. Is praising God that he set you free. In the darkest moments of your life, you found him, that you, you were with him, that you were able to, you like, he, he brought you from a dark place. Come on, can we begin to just praise him? Can we just begin to, Get into this worship song and allow his presence just to wash over you. That you're, 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 you are not living in your past. You are living in who you are right now. You are changed and you are free and begin to worship and praise a free God just like that. Thank you so much for joining us for this Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.